a listener production. Hi, I'm Elle Ferguson and this is Sliding Doors, where I chat with inspirational people from the world of fashion and beauty about their sliding door moment. That is, the moment they took a chance or made a life change that led them to where they are now at the top of their game. Having founded my own fashion and beauty brand, The L Effect, I know that succeeding in these industries isn't easy. So I'm inviting the people I admire most on the podcast to share their stories, insights, and tips for turning your passion into a career. Jackie Frank is no stranger to career reinvention and is a master of evolving as the world rapidly changes around her. For over three decades, Jackie Frank has established herself across fashion, publishing, retail, and brand building. Have a seat. Did you get time off? It's been amazing. As the founding editor of iconic women's lifestyle magazine, Marie Claire Australia in the 90s, and former general manager of fashion, beauty, and health for Pacific magazines, Jackie has seen the industry she loves change from glossy magazines to online editorials and everything in between. In 2018, she left the publishing world to start her own business, Be Frank Group, a platform that builds brands and authentically connects them with their powerful female audience. It's fantastic. Jackie, I love you more now. I'm so excited. I first came across Jackie when I was a young girl and my mum introduced me to the glossy pages of Marie Claire when I was a kid. And ever since then, I've followed her incredible career and been inspired by Jackie Frank. Jackie, I am so excited to be chatting to you today. I've been such a fan of yours for so many years, but being able to have the opportunity to kind of sit down and talk to somebody one-on-one, I feel is very rare. And to be able to have this opportunity with you is, I feel very lucky. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So kind of to break the ice, I love to do a fast five. It's nothing too serious. Really quickly, what is your most used app on your phone? WhatsApp. I love it. Okay. Actually, no. Instagram. Yes. I feel like we all think about it and then we forget Instagram's an app because I feel like it's part of our, like, who we are. It's ingrained. This is very true. Sweet or salty? Mm, Salty. Friends or Seinfeld? Friends. What was the last photo on your phone? My dog. Guilty pleasure? Going to the beach. Nice. I'd say that's a reward. That's not a guilty pleasure. <laughs> oh, okay. So then the ice, chocolate ice cream. Okay, nice. See, we, I learn a lot about people with those first five. It's kind of really nice. Now that we've got that out of the way, I want to know from you, how did you first get into this industry? I mean, I feel like you're a part of so many industries, but fashion would be at the top of my mind. And I'd love to know, how did you get into the industry? Well, I grew up with a mother, Lillian Frank, She was the first influencer, I think. Basically, every Melbourne Cup, she was on, the papers would come to photograph what she was wearing. She was on the front page of every single paper. So I grew up watching this whole commotion and it was all about the outfit, the hat, the coat, the whole thing. And that's what I saw. And that's what was like, well, what's this all about? And how much fun is this? So we'd have so much fun looking at outfits, changing outfits, and then the photographers would turn up at six o'clock in the morning, take a picture. It was so much fun. I can't. So that was your first kind of taste and you were like, yep, I want part of this. Well it you know, yeah, that was it was fun and it was exciting. I wanted I wanted to know more about this. When did you realize you had a flair 
for fashion and that was going to be your job? I never actually wasn't as crystal clear as that. Yeah. Basically, I was a beautician, had a car accident, couldn't work as a beautician anymore and heard that there was a job going at Harper's Bazaar to do the social. And all my clients used to be like Adele Palmer, who owned Jag, Jane Parker, who owned Country Road at the time. All these people were my clients. So it was a kind of a natural fit. I saw an opportunity and I grabbed it. Social and then from social went into fashion. Hold on. I'm like, A, I never knew you were a beautician, which I think is amazing. Pimple squeezer. Fabulous waxer though. I love that. I can wax faster than anybody That's else. That's your talent. Next time I do ask you the fast five, I'm going to ask that. So you're a beautician, car accident. So there was a bit of a kind of like a, what am I going to do? You know, like a changing moment. Devastating. I yeah. was dedicated to being a beautician. I yeah. loved it. I was going to open my own business. But the doctor said, I cannot do it. You okay. cannot bend. Yeah. And then you saw a job and you just... Well, no, we heard about that that Harper's Bazaar were looking for someone to look over the social. And because of my history, I knew everybody in Melbourne with my mother being involved in it. And I took that opportunity, but it wasn't about that for me. For me, it was like Harper's Bazaar, oh my God, fashion, I want to grow it. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did you do that? How did you grow it? Well, basically I was in Melbourne. I was the only person in the Melbourne office And Melbourne was the fashion capital as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And I said to them, hey, there's some fab fashion here. Do you want me to send up clothes to Sydney for you to use in the magazine? Because all the the magazines were in Sydney. And they were like, sure, why not? And that grew from one suitcase to being multiple suitcases being sent to Sydney to the editor coming down saying, what are you doing here? We need to look at Melbourne. And then an opportunity arose where an editor went rogue and they said, we don't have anyone to shoot the things that you've sent up. And I put my hand up. I said, why don't I do it? And she said, you know what? You've collected all the clothes. Why don't you have a go? Now, let me tell you, that was scary because I'd never done a fashion shoot before. But it was like, roll your sleeves up and give it a go. What can happen? And that's how it all started. Do you feel like that was your sliding doors moment? Yes, absolutely. And it was the opportunity. Yeah. Even now, you speaking of that moment that was, you know, a while a long ago, time ago, a little bit ago, <laughs> But that still that moment was your sliding doors. It was like, I've yep. got to do it. I've got to grab it. Yeah, take it with, you know, and I had wonderful people around me. The fashion director at the time was Jane Rorty. She said, I'll help you through it. Um, but they threw me in the deep end. Yeah, but I feel like that's sometimes when the magic happens. When you get thrown in the deep end, you just got to go. You're either going to yeah. sink or swim. Yeah. You, know, you would have known in that moment whether this is for me or not. Oh, I loved it. See? I had the time of my life. Yeah. I thought, this isn't, I get paid for this? This is, this is a job? <laughs> Can I ask how old you were? I was probably 21. And were you just a goer? Because I feel like there's a lot of, tw- like 21 is, I mean, you know, 21's 21. Were you a really business focused or like? I was always told that you can do whatever you want as long as you work hard. And I think that that's the difference between when I was growing up to today. It's not just you can do what you want. If you put the hard yakker in, and you really stay focused and you look for the opportunities, seize them. No, and I, I 100% agree because I think the world that we sit in, in, in digital and social media, you do see a very polished version, you know what I mean? And a lot of people don't understand that you've been up since 3am, you're hustling, you actually never stop. If you really want to keep going, you don't stop. Yeah. But I think it's amazing to hear that 
when you were 21 in Melbourne without digital, without anything like that, you had to send the suitcase up, write the letter. You know what I mean? Like you really had to go for it. So when did it shift for you? Because you would have, the magazine being here in Sydney, you moved up? I moved up. Yeah. I moved up and then they closed us. Many, I'm fast tracking because this is a long history. Yeah. And I moved to England because I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to live there. I thought I was going to live there as a beautician. But I went there and I got a job at Elle magazine. Wow. And that was kind of the turning point for me. And then from there I went to America, got a job at Elle in America and then, you know, spent my years there as a fashion editor and then came back to Australia to launch Marie Claire. Oh my gosh. It's my head spinning because I'm <laughs> like, this is just, it's really phenomenal because I, I think, again, digital has opened a lot of doors up. But I remember when I started in the industry, Australia was always kind of like, we're so far away. We're like 30 hours on a plane. You know what I mean? To be able to kind of like break down those walls and get over there and, and wave our flag is quite amazing. Who in your life was pushing you at this point? Was it your family? Nobody pushed me. Yeah. My, in fact, when I went off to Europe, my mother, who'd always worked her whole life, said to me, it's nothing without a family. Just remember that. So, in fact, it was quite the opposite. It was like, go do whatever you want, but remember the important things. I just was so curious. And that's what I say to people. You know, curiosity and stepping outside your comfort zone. I've always been someone who's wanted to push myself to experience new and exciting. I love that. And did you ever have a point, I mean, when you arrived overseas and started working for Elle or when then you went to America, was there a time where you like doubted yourself or you arrived quietly? Do you know what I mean? Because I kind of, it, it would have been daunting, you know? So how did you do it? Um, I think everybody has what you're talking about is the imposter syndrome or the, you know, doubt. I thought I was going to come back. I I was up to three months in England, didn't have a job, and then I got it right at the end when I felt that, you know, there was I was getting ready to come home, my money was running out, and I got this break. I think the thing is it's not about doubting yourself as opposed to looking for the opportunities and turning that voice off. Everybody has that voice inside their head because if you don't, then I don't think you can succeed because if you think you know it all, you actually stop learning. And I think that's a really important lesson. I have never felt that I know it all. And also it's really important about the people you surround yourself with. I always say the people around me are more talented than I am. So surround yourself with talented people, but also surround yourself with people that support you as opposed to feed into that negativity. It's really, really important. So you did your stint in America and then came back to Australia. Is Mm. that correct? And when you came back to Australia, what did you return as? Well, I actually was offered the job as editor of Marie Claire from America. I came back for that job because I actually wasn't coming back. Oh. I My life was in New York. I was getting married, all that kind of stuff, and we had the curveball. But it came at a really good time because I felt that voice, yep. nothing without a family. I really had missed my family at that point. So I came back as the editor and... It was a completely daunting thing because it was I'd never been the editor of a magazine. What does that can I just, what does that feel like when you come back as like the editor of the magazine? Terrifying. Yeah, yeah, in one word. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> It'd be like the first day of school on acid, like oh, rocking up. I had no idea what I was walking into. I had a fantastic mentor that supported me, Glenda Bailey, who went on to be the editor of Harper's Bazaar. And she kept saying to me, you can do it. And I had 
that in the back of my head. You need one cheerleader, don't you? You do need a cheerleader. I feel like you need, if you get a group, it's amazing. But if there's one, that cheerleader really, it's Mm. what you need, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And also you need to say to yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Give it a go. If you stay in your comfort zone, nothing's going to change. But also you've got to understand that hard work is really part of it. It's not just luck. As you said, you're working. You work all the time. You don't turn off. No. And that's exactly, I remember working and leaving the office at around 10 o'clock at night and going, oh, there's, oh, dinner. What about dinner? Oh, there's nowhere to get dinner because everything was closed because I was so used to New York where everything was open all the time. You've just, you've got to be bloody minded. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think there's two things. I think passion. Passion's really important. And the thing when you're talking about doubt, et cetera, authenticity. Authenticity is one of the most important things because you can't be what you're not. And if you're trying to be something else, you will trip over. You can't keep that up. You've got to stay authentic to who you are, know who you are, know what your values are, stick to that because then you're being true to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I love everything you're saying. You might be my new cheerleader. <laughs> I might need to call you because I feel like oh, you're saying everything that I like to preach. Thank you. That would be my absolute mm. pleasure. No, because it's really important to support others. And, you know, there's that thing about there's a place in hell for women who go through the door and shut it behind them. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. I'm a real believer in supporting other women. So can I just rewind because, I mean, we're talking fashion so the platform was fashion. Yeah. It was a fashion magazine, Marie Claire. But my mum always read Marie Claire. Mm. I remember being quite young at a cafe. I still remember the cafe when my mum presented this story and said, I want to educate you girls. This is how we're going to do it. And taking us through the magazine and we got to a section that had a warning on it. And the section was about female mutilation. Mm. And I mean... I think I was like probably nine or 10. And I remember my mom taking me through it and it was really confronting. I still remember the images now. And I mean, how did you do that? How did you put that in a glossy fashion magazine? I felt it was really important. It was something that was going on. It was even going on in Australia. It wasn't something that was just over there. And it was an issue and it needed the awareness to be shown so that people, if they wanted to, they could campaign against it or that women whose voices were not heard, the women who were being mutilated, were suddenly given a voice, given the support that they needed because it was something that people didn't want to talk about. And in actual fact, it was a model. that oh. ha- Yes, it was a model who came out and spoke about what had happened to her in the past. And here was this beautiful girl in the industry who'd had this horrific deed done to her. And I felt very strongly that it was an issue that needed to be addressed and awareness needed to be given. I was really passionate about the fact that we had a vehicle to be able to bring up the issues, to be able to communicate. Like today, you communicate B2C direct to your consumers. You have a dialogue on digital. Yep. Back then, we didn't. Back and nobody then, really censors me. Do you know no. what I mean? Like, unless I show a nipple... Nobody's censoring. Then I can't imagine the people that you had to say, you're doing this, like, well, can I do this? I think I was in a unique position. I had supportive management to be able to use our platform, which was at the time the printed magazine, to be able to get these issues out because I had a very engaged audience. And 
women are multidimensional. We love fashion, we love beauty, but we also are very concerned about the world around us. And that was what that point of difference was. And it was very much about issues that really needed an awareness, needed a voice. So we use that to be able to do it, which is exactly what digital today does. Engage with your consumer. There was nothing like that back then. So the magazine took, I, I made the decision to take that role with the magazine while we had this consumer and I knew that women were interested in more than just fashion. It didn't mean they didn't want fashion, but they were interested in more. And I I respected women of that multifaceted kind yeah. of dimension. And that's, yeah, that was, that was actually my passion point because I'd been in fashion my whole life and I just felt that I was interested in those things. So why shouldn't everybody else be? Well, we were. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But nobody was talking to us. It's mm. really interesting, even as a kid. Mm. And so then you started including these pieces, these very raw, very confronting stories in the magazine. And there were numerous other stories that were told at that time. There was China's one child policy um, was also another issue. And there was a picture that actually spoke more than a thousand words. We didn't actually need to write anything. The caption was enough. The picture was enough. We had the picture of the dead baby in yes, the gutter. I remember yeah, it. And like that, you say, I remember what cafe we were at when my mother bought the magazine out. It's quite bizarre to think of it like this. It was a huge, it was one of those moments. That that picture spoke a thousand words and it was really quite a, it was a really hard decision to publish or not to publish, but it was that horrific picture, dead baby girl, people walking over it like yeah. it was rubbish. And there are those moments in life where you see something and you can't unsee it. And I had the opportunity to be able to get that message out to hundreds of thousands of people. And I felt a responsibility to do that. When did it hit you in your career at Marie Claire that you needed to start talking about these things? From day one. That was the point of difference of Marie Claire, that women were interested not only in fashion and beauty, but they were also interested in social issues. and this was a magazine that was going to address both sides of a woman. And I find it interesting that those stories actually were before the fashion and beauty in the magazine. Mm. I find that interesting because that, I mean, that must have been a risk because all of the other magazines that were around you weren't doing anything like that. Mm. So, well, to me, the, the magazine, again, was addressing all parts of a woman. And the first part of the magazine was about issues some made you laugh, some made you cry. It was the whole emotional gamut, a roller coaster, I used to say. And then you got your respite. Then you got your fashion. Then you got, you know, you knew you'd you'd come to the more luxury end of the magazine. And I had a lot of pushback from advertisers. I had a lot of pushback from people to say, oh, no, you should put the fashion up front. And I was like, no, that's not our USP is this, and I'm go- if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be loud, proud, and unashamedly put it out there. And that's what we saw people really connected with. And as an editor, is it your final say? Is it you that's like, we're doing it? When, when we launched Marie Claire, I was very lucky. I, the, the management uh, it was a private company, and they backed me all the way. I mean, You know, we did things for reconciliation. We did a whole campaign, got Nicole Kidman on the cover wearing the, we created a T-shirt that General Pants did that um, we we co-collaborated on. And everyone was like, 
well, that's not a topic that people want to talk about. Well, yes, it was. Then the other one was marriage equality. Love is love. Again, there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. There was actually a campaign to remove me from the, the position of editor when I put that out there. There were lobbyists who came to the company, to our advertisers uh-huh. and said, remove her. And I was like, no, this is a social issue. This is inequality. This is what Marie Claire was all about. We had 300,000 people sign our petition that we did with GetUp. It was extraordinary. And then, of course, it became really cool, didn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but at the time when we first did it, 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 was, it wasn't. No, it's such a risk. It's mm. such a, it's such a mm. risk. But I think what I'm learning is if you believe in something, you're going to stand up for it and you're going to follow it all the way through. But you've also, it's got to be authentic. Mm. I wasn't doing it for publicity. No. I wasn't doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it because it was the right thing to do because I knew what our values were. I knew our why. I knew what we stood for and it fitted to that. And therefore, I knew I could go to sleep and say, right, even if I do get fired, I did the right thing. And I think it's interesting now with digital because, I mean, it's been a really full-on 12 months and I feel sometimes you almost feel paralysed to say something. Mm. There's almost like a fear culture going on. People have that access to you Mm. and they become, you know, the trolls are awful and they're real. And the bigger you grow and and the more you put yourself out there, the more they come for you. And so I think, again... In order for to protect yourself but still stay true to yourself and stay true to the community because they're with you. Your, your real followers, your community are there because they've connected with you on the things that matter to you. Yeah. And so if you stay true to that, I think it, you'll be okay. Yeah, that's very true. Mm. And did you get a lot of backlash? Did a huge a- amount as well as a lot of support. Yeah. So it was both. So... It was writing that fine line of what to, what not to. And in fact, that probably should have been a sealed section, which I didn't do. Um, it was a warning. There was a warning. But people people came to expect that from, from Murray Claire. They came to look to well, see what the you issues were. You wanted to know were. what that story was. I remember then, exactly like you said, moving forward, there was all of the amazing fashion and beauty and things like that, but then there was always a piece it was almost like an educational, factual, it gave you something more because I remember using it in high school as talking points, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that. It was water cooler, wasn't it? Yes, mm. yes, but mm. it but it was more. It was more. It hit you where it, where it had to. I mean, then, of course, we have to talk about mm. paid maternity leave, which was huge. We campaigned for eight years on that. Wow. Every single year we did that. And it came about because I was pregnant, I went overseas, I was at the shows talking to my counterparts and realised they all had this maternity leave that was paid for. Everybody had it in different countries, had different extremes of it, and we had nothing. Us and America were the only two countries in the OECD that did not have government-funded paid maternity leave. And that's how that came about. Blows your mind now to be talking to the woman that made that change Oh, not solely. No, but it takes one. You know what I mean? Like it takes one to shake things up and and for eight years to keep going and then get it done. Was that incredible? Yeah. That was one of the highlights for me because the magazine was able to encourage and influence the agenda 
And that was what was so exciting about it at that time. And that's still exciting in terms of in digital today, you look at the campaigns. I mean, you know, I have a very little following compared to what you do, but there was the time when Bondi Beach was full of all these people and it was like I posted one picture and said, what the hell are we doing? And got thousands and thousands of people behind it. It, It's incredible. People are still as passionate. Oh, yeah. And I find that interesting saying that when you were at the magazine, you were an influence, do you know what I mean? And then now it's shifted and it is digital. And it's really interesting because, I mean, I think 2018 was when we worked on a Bumble campaign together. And it was really significant for me because I remember being on the panel with you and I got to speak to you before we went on and you had resigned from Marie Claire, which was a huge achievement. I mean, I was scared. I was like, oh my God, what are you going to do next? And I found it so exciting that you were walking into the digital. Well, I it was people like yourselves that encouraged me because I kept saying, talking to you guys and you were all doing such exciting things and there was no fear. You were blindly moving into this. And I thought, here I am at this stage of my life. It's time to pivot. It's time to get back outside my comfort zone. So I have to credit you guys back with encouraging me and giving me and reminding me that life begins outside your comfort zone. True. And also watching you develop and grow this audience and be able to make a difference with your audience with, you know, that I thought it's the skills that I've done in publishing that now it's time for me to pivot. It's time for me to kind of use my skills with brands to be able to show them how to do it because it's all about storytelling. It's all about engaging an audience. It's all about the emotional connection and that was what my whole career was on and here you guys were out there just just going for it, just going for it. And so it reminded me of my why. Why? Why? What do I want? And what do I want to do in my life? And the time just felt like, okay, it's time. They were going to carry me out with the furniture (laughs) or I was going to do something. Which I find amazing because I think with fear comes excitement. There's that rush of adrenaline afterwards. And Mm. it's quite funny. You can't have one without the other. But in the same breath, I remember that time with magazines. I mean, I still buy a magazine now. I love to touch and feel it. But I do remember the word influencer being a dirty word Mm. in that space. And it was quite funny. I mean, there was that point where magazines started to realize mm. it's a it's a friendship. We can work yeah. together. Yeah. But were there a lot of people around you kind of saying, what are you doing? Like, why? Um, yes and no. A lot of people thought I was doing it because I wanted to go and retire. <laughs> You're like, it ain't over <laughs> Yeah, I found that really odd. Yeah. Like, that found, so people who knew me obviously knew that that was not the case. They thought, why would you do that when you're in a what seemingly secure job when the whole world was changing, but the whole world was changing. And you can't just close and put blinkers on. You've got to move with it. I I will never forget sitting there with you and you were just like asking questions and listening. And I thought that was amazing because it's really scary. So did you, Mm. how did you teach yourself? Because people often say to me, how do you do it? And it is a passion, I have to say, and it is being authentic. You know what I mean? Your voice is your voice, but... Like, what did you do? Did you just... Do you want to know what I actually did? Yes, I do. first thing I did was I went to the Apple store and took four lessons. 
Okay. Because I was used to an IT department. Yes. I was used yeah, to really having a whole infrastructure. <laughs> I didn't know how to use my laptop. No, so no. I went and I had lessons. That was the first thing I needed to do. Yep. And as you said, I was asking. I was, you know, it was like re- reverse mentoring, talking to all of you and knowing that I had the skill set and knowing that it felt, I felt 20 again. I have to say the feeling that it gave me in the rush and the excitement was fabulous. I know I'm capable of hard work. Yeah. So that I was quite confident in. And I literally had to start and work out how do I do this technically and then apply my skills to working with brands that were like-minded, that I saw there was an opportunity. And in actual fact, this whole thing of you know, the pandemic changed the way that brands communicated and that digital became the disruption that digital created was supercharged. Yes. And so it was about, okay, we can reach out to the consumer directly now and we have to. Yeah, well, that's so how we have was, to speak to them. Yeah, so it was but, a good, good position to be in. So what was the jump off point when you decided to create B Frank Group? Well, I decided I had to make a change and... I really didn't know what I was going to do when I left. I actually didn't know. And as you said, that bumble and there was all of you young influencers, leaders in your field, being successful. And then I realized, you know what, I've got a skill. I've actually got a skill. You have a lot of skills, my friend. You have a lot of skills. (laughs) But I thought, I can apply this. I can apply. I saw the B to C. I saw that, you know, business straight, direct to consumer And I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. Yes. I felt that the industry had had systemic changes that we weren't going backwards. So what I loved didn't exist anymore. And it was time for me to reinvent myself. It was time for me to get outside my comfort zone. And even talking to you guys at that Bumble event made me realise, yes, I need to do this. Otherwise, they're going to carry me out with the furniture. (laughs) So I created Be Frank Group because I knew that I knew how to engage the consumer. So it was time for me to work with brands to help them engage their consumer in the same way that I used to do through the magazine. I do it now with commercial brands. What I love about it is that you've broken the wall down and to be able to actually have you come into a brand and share your knowledge and work with the brand one-on-one is actually an amazing opportunity as a brand to have. Oh, well, thank you. I yeah. love connecting with I feel like I'm going to call you about Elephant. Yeah, I was like, when I was you like, said that to me, I was thinking that. Just to saying <laughs> that I feel like I might be giving you a call. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, when do you get the opportunity to work with, like, the editor of a magazine on your own brand? It's incredible. Oh, well, is it? You're oh, going to be like, Elle, leave me alone. No, 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 no. Well, I, I saw the opportunity to connect authentically with the female audience. I mean, I... I'm unashamedly female-focused. I'm waving my flag. And you know what? I just have to say you need a partner that's okay with that. I find that you need a, you need a partner that waves the flag with you. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I certainly do have that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, pick your partner wisely. Yes. How you pick your partner is the most important thing. And my partner has been an amazing support both with myself and with the kids. So, you know, when you are coupling up or whatever, it's really important to understand and know that that person is going to support you in everything you do. So I think Cheryl Sandberg said it, lean in 
and picking your partner is probably one of the most important things you do. Is a big difference when you have somebody that lifts you up and pushes you and believes in you than somebody that pulls you down. And it's also, it's the risks. It's taking the risks and know somebody's got your back. Well, it is a partnership. Yeah. It's so important that you have a partner who is happy for you to fulfil your dreams as well as them filling their own. Yeah. Well, you're a team. So where is it now? Where's the business now? Tell me what you're doing now. Okay. So I'm working with brands in engaging their consumer doing campaign work, doing, you know, all the photo shoots that we used to do at the magazine. So doing all the shoots, working with strategy, looking at everything to do with engaging the female consumer. So I'm working with brands. I've also joined a board, which is actually working in an older demographic where Mosaic, which is 50 plus, which I call the invisible generation, which you don't know about yet, but you will one day. (laughs) And, um, you know, there's two kind of ends of the pie. I feel that, you know, there's the older generation who feel completely ignored and there's a really good way to engage them. Then there's the younger generation or even, you know, from the 30s to the 50s, things like that, and working with brands to engage them, whether it's campaign, whether it's strategy. You know, the other thing is this whole idea of I feel that I need purpose as well and this has been a fantastic year for that because it's cool to be kind. Yes. And that's something that is really dear to my heart. So working with brands on how do they bring that to life Mm -hmm. because it's not good enough product and price to sell things to people. People want to engage with brands that have a meaning. Well, it's the community. Yes. I think there's a really strong sense of community now and it it wasn't there before. And I Mm. think now you buy into that community. You're not just buying a product. So, And that's exactly what you're talking about before with Marie Claire. We were a community. So it's how do you take that and give that to a brand and create that community around that brand so that they actually have a reason to be engaged with you. And I feel like what you said just on the pandemic then, the older generation that probably were a bit frightened of social and digital actually were pushed into it with the pandemic. So it is actually kind of a really amazing time to be speaking to that audience because they're in it now and they they got introduced to it on fast forward, but they're Mm. in it and they're using it and they're aware of it. Yeah. So I have to ask you, 21-year-old Jackie Frank in Melbourne who is doing some waxing, then went into doing the social pages. What would she think of what you're doing now? I think she wouldn't believe it. I think she'd be like, you did what? (laughs) I used to have a friend when I was young who'd say, you can't do that. You can't do that. And every time he told me I can't do that, I wanted to do it. (laughs) And so I say back to you, I did it. And, And God knows what the future holds. It's so exciting. I pinch myself. I feel so lucky every single day to be challenging myself and to be pushing. And hopefully my kids will then come in and take over the business. So it goes back to, I feel like I'm being my authentic self. Which is when you know you're doing the right thing. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I think that's where the passion comes from. I always try to say to people, you can't fake it. You know what I mean? You can't. No. And I think now even more. I don't like this more. fake till you make it thing. No, 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 no. I used to always say dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Yeah. But I don't think you can fake it till you make it anymore. I think it, now with the space that we sit in, you need to be your most authentic self. Mm. And people want that. Do you know what I mean? They don't want any, the bells or whistles. Well, the barrier of entry is is non-existent. So everybody has that opportunity. So you're competing in a much 
more crowded area because everybody's giving it a go. What would you say to somebody that wants to give it a go? Because I find it is very crowded. It's very crowded, but you know, you've got to have a USP, a USP, unique selling point. Mm -hmm. You've got to know what your lane is. In order to know your lane, you need to know yourself. And so again, it goes back to understanding yourself, you know, sort of work out what are the values that you have and what can you bring to the table that's unique and different. And as long as you do that, you have an opportunity and then couple that with hard work. Don't think it's just easy. You know, this whole thing of being famous for the sake of being famous, it, it rubbish. Kim Kardashian works 24-7. Oh, she's seven. one of the hard, yeah. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. I People always say to me, oh, what was she like when you met her? I was like, she's amazing. She's a worker. Yeah. She is. And that's why. It's exact. It's, yes, the proof is the hard work. It yeah. is. So what's next for you? Well, you know what? It's very hard to say because the world is so unpredictable. This whole pandemic has changed everything. We don't know from one day to the next. I suppose for me, it's building up Be Frank Group. For me, it's about being in the, I think we're living more in the moment today than we ever have. And it's to do, to be the best version of yourself, really. And that's, that's what I'm kind of focused on. I love that. Jackie, thank you so much. I feel really, really inspired by you. I have felt it since we had that chat I did at Bumble mm. in 2018 because it was so exciting for somebody that was at the top of their game in the old way we were doing something to take a leap of faith. And I think for anybody that's kind of listening to kind of know hard work, nothing competes with hard work and mm. being true to yourself. Well, I have to thank you too, because that was a pivotal moment for me. Mm. And it was, that's, you never know where your inspiration is going to come from, do you? You've got to stay curious. That's this one other true. thing. Stay curious, ask, ask questions. questions. And, you know, you don't know where it's coming from. And you guys, you know, look at you, look at your following, look at your engaged community. It's fantastic. So thank you. Sliding Doors is hosted by me, Elle Ferguson, producer Tina Matalov, audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin, and a special thanks to my manager, Camille Toulouse, for always being a fresh pair of ears on each episode. Listener.